0: The ubiquitous and perennial question, are you here? Ladies and gentlemen, we are honored you're here. We're coming at you from the Atlantic coast, and we thank you for tuning in to the Paul Leslie Hour, home of interviews with the most fascinating artists of our time for 18 years and counting. On today's episode, we welcome two wonderful singer-songwriters. They each perform and record as solo artists, but they also perform frequently as a duo, Peter Mayer and Brendan Mayer. Are here, and for the first time in the history of this show, we're welcoming a father and son in the same interview. Peter Mayer and Brendan Mayer released an acclaimed album entitled Long Story Short on the Little Flock Music Recording Label. They'll be talking about that and a whole lot more. Hey, folks, did you know the key ingredient of the Paul Leslie Hour continuing is you? That's right. Be a patron of the spoken word and the art of interviewing. Just go to com slash support. And we thank you. Now, Paul, Paul, if you think it's a good time to get into the interview with Peter and Brendan Mayer, just begin, okay? You are ready, baby?
1: Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is a very unique opportunity, I think. I have two returning guests. I haven't interviewed them together. This is singer-songwriter Peter Mayer and singer-songwriter Brendan Mayer. I was just talking to the road manager. How do you keep all of the various shows straight? I mean, you guys each have your solo work, your work as a duo. There's Mayer, Kirby Mayer. There's we could, the Floating Collective. Mm-hmm. It's just music, music, and music. <laughs> yeah, I think you said it uh, best. I mean,
2: the biggest thing is trying to figure out how to apportion the shows. You know, like um, mm-hmm. I've been around just for sheer years, in sheer years, more than Brendan. So I think by default with the years with Jimmy and everything, I tend to, to probably play the larger number of songs than anyone's set. But on his sets, he, you know, of course, it's all Brendan music and he... Uh, What I love about him as well is he plays a lot of covers. So I think that's really strengthened his game, is playing Mm -hmm. in a lot of different situations. Floating Collective, Peter Mayer, the duo, Mm -hmm. uh, PMG with the group. And and for me, that's been one of the ups of of playing with Jimmy all these years, that it took me out of that 80s band thing and exposed me to Jimmy, who's going to be doing a Caribbean song, a Mm -hmm. John Hyatt song, an old you know kind of two beat jazz tempo thing maybe a new orleans groove it's really taught me a lot about being flexible so i think that makes it easier to work together you know that we've been forced into flexibility so
3: yeah the thing about jimmy's show is that he actually throws a lot of curve balls at the band yeah from night to night, tour to tour. I mean, everyone talks about what is it the the sacred seven or eight that he has to play every single show. But yeah. after that, I mean, he's he's changing it up quite a bit, and yeah. whether it's digging into deep cuts, B sides,
2: covers from artists he's admired, you and can particular that, to that each comment. town, he's right, really big right, on sure. that. Like uh, I'm in Savannah. Or I'm in uh, Charleston, so I will play this song that uh, has to do with the low country, you know, and it's a tie. It's a and hmm. with your stuff, I, I, I'm i
3: lucky because I grew up on this music. So, you know, even if I have to brush up on, on chords and lyrics, I, at least I, I pretty much know every every one of your songs by heart at this point. Like it's imprinted back in, hmm. in there somewhere. So
2: it's just accessing that, right. that ram somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, and he does some some of the songs as well, right, in your solo set. Um, when you get a chance to, sure, to yeah, perform, yeah, you know, exactly. he'll choose a blue guitar or something sure, that, yeah. that we do
1: together. Mm-hmm. So, so to tell the people out there, we're in Bluffton, South Carolina, mm-hmm. an absolutely beautiful place. And tonight you're going to be performing at the Roasting Room. It is a venue that I have just come to love. I'm so excited about seeing the show tonight. But when the two of you come on together... Come together on 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 stage as a duo. Is there a particular mission you all have? For me, it's to convey.
2: Well, first of all, to open up the door that because uh, I really truly believe that every night that an audience graces us with their presence, they pay to come to hear us play, which we feel so lucky that that is the case. But they bring in a spirit, and that spirit affects us. I truly believe that no two nights are the same because of that and the roasting room is a prime example of that there's always a great vibe there and my whole objective is to uh just give what we have in the in in the sense of how our lives have somehow melted into music Mm. and we believe i really want to want to think that through and through that each one of those will somehow touch one of those people Mm. in their own personal way instead of just being my story and my fame or infamy you know it's going to somehow touch them and open it up what about what about you yeah
3: i would say two things first of all playing with this guy right here um it feels like such a cheat code sometimes because he he can really do everything in terms of playing guitar parts singing harmony on all my stuff so it's it's i'm so fortunate to basically get to do play anything that i want to play i know he's gonna provide exactly what that song Hmm. needs so I, I try to appreciate that. And, and, and in some ways, because we're so close personally and musically, um, we're able we're able to do a lot of stuff. Um, I feel like that other groups might not be able to do. So I feel like that's unique. Like when I'm doing a solo gig or playing with other bands, you can't just assume that um, the, the your bandmates, no matter how I played with wonderful people, but mm-hmm. there is kind of a mind meld that happens yeah. where you can kind of be a little, not reckless, but you can just throw things out there like, Hey, I'm going to try this brand new song. Let's, let's give it a go. Yeah. And he usually can play the right thing. On <laughs> the other thing cool. is, um, especially for these smaller listening room type shows, I just really try to stay in the moment. Um, it's really easy as performers and musicians. It, to kind of just start playing the song. Cause let's be honest, we've played most of these songs thousands of times. Hmm. And sometimes it can be a challenge to stay in the moment and stay present and dig into the meat of the song. Like it's the first time you've played Mm -hmm. it. That's hard. So I, when I'm on stage, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm like, I got to stay invested and not, go on autopilot here because that's how you're going to connect.
2: Yeah. And really great point. And for me, it's becomes critical when you don't feel like you're on like Mm -hmm. to the, to the extent that you want to be on any particular nine to remember that their experience is different than yours. Mm -hmm. And it's also the same. Mm -hmm. And so the reason i respect that difference is cuz so many times when we think we've had a horrible night and we'll go out afterwards people go i want to tell you i'm <laughs> full inside i'm happy and i'm just like okay i'm not going to say a word cuz i just had the worst night i've had in the last 10 or whatever but it's not about me it's about a collective
1: uh, it's about a collective experience mm. something that occurs to me i can think of a lot of either father and son that are both musicians or a father and daughter. Mm. There's Willie Nelson and Lucas Nelson. Yeah. There's Bob Dylan and Jacob Dylan. Mm-hmm. What's unique and what's rare? You have a lot of paternal with their child, but it's rare that they work together. There's a lot of times there's an attempt to distance. Mm. And you two, you know, you made this uh this record together, which I just love. Mm. The long story short, mm-hmm. record, no, and it's it's a unique thing. It, you don't see this a lot mm-hmm. in music to to do a show together, to do a record mm-hmm. together.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. I think for that that's one of the reasons we feel feel lucky to be doing it together. Um, and thank God for the for the third rail. <laughs> uh, as dangerous as it is, it has to be involved in anything. And you want it to catch fire. You want whatever. We're feebly attempting to do from time to time uh, with that third party, unseen, just the spirit that takes you. We started that record kind of thinking, I love his music, first of all, and he, I think he had a respect for mine, and and uh, we didn't do a whole lot of playing together before that point, but we realized when we did, there was a certain synergy and a spirit entered the room. So what started as kind of like a an Simon and Garfunkel tribute, Everly Brothers Turned into wow! This is taking off, and I don't know what's happening, but it sounds pretty cool. Let's just keep going in this direction. Um, and last thing I'll say is that you know I grew up in a family that sometimes, almost to a fault, really valued lowering your own stature for the 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 good of the group, for the strength of the group. And that's kind of counter. That's going to be counterculture when you get into rock and roll. It's it's about being the tough, you know. You know, there's even when they're mysterious, they usually have very foreboding, you know. Like whether it's Dylan or Eric Clapton or Mm -hmm. as much as we love it, there's that star thing. And I was always brought up. It's like, hey, you're part of this community, and don't you forget it as much? Um, uh, Though it takes an ego. So I I welcome Brendan's input. In fact, it still amazes me to hear his music. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about because
3: I, I get it from um, you know a lot of those famous duos you've you've talked about. I think there's been a, a real, I think certainly with someone like Jacob Dylan, there's been a real strong inclination to to pull away so that his light can shine and is not dwarfed by his mm. his father's and and certainly I feel the need to do my own things that are independent of the Peter and Brendan duo. I think that's natural, just like he feels their urge to do things that are independent of that. But I've never felt like um, his light shining brightly dwarfed mine. I, I, I've always felt like it amplified it in, in a really wonderful way musically. So mm. I'm thankful for that. Um, and the fact that I, this the set that we do together, I'm doing some of my songs and he's, accompanying me on on songs I sing lead and vice versa. And then there are songs that are truly in that duo spirit that we actually trade off verses and sing together. So we just try to hit a nice balance with it and while knowing that we still need, you know, there's gonna be times when we need independence. Um, yeah. you know I I don't know if you want to talk about it, but he's got a new album coming out. Yeah. But I, up to this, I'm hopeful to get to sing on it at some point, but, yeah. Um,
2: yeah, you will, but right? it's, it's really his thing. And, um, well, and it came kind of at, we had a really, really busy end of last year and, um, but there's been just a, a little by little a docket of songs that has built up in a big bin that has not been able to be finished just because of our busyness. And at the end of the year, I mean, John's sitting over there. You can't see them, folks, but <laughs> John Spindler manages us and uh, does a great job. But he, I think, he sensed that. And I was just like, man, I am I, don't don't call me. <laughs> I need some time to air out this head. And uh, he said, hey, why don't we take why don't we take the summer off, play with Buffett. Brendan's going to be touring his butt off. He's going to do his own thing. You do your own thing. And I decided to pull out the songs that have been put in a hopper and let them live. And uh, it's going to be called Songs for the Birds. Hmm. Just kind of like, these are things that have occurred to me. And somehow they're important because they just keep coming back to me. They, They won't let me go. So I'm going to give them to you. If you don't like it, throw organic fruit. But... Enjoy it to your your best, but this is just what I had to do in my life to get that off my chest. So, mm. so I'm I'm looking forward to it. So we're hoping by meeting of the minds we'll have that done. I don't know how in the heck we're going to do it, but uh, it's getting close. So, songs for the songs for the birds. Well, the birds have been giving me songs all these years, and um, I'm a big nature guy. <clears throat> I walk. I walk each day, usually if I'm home with my dogs and with Brendan's dogs sometimes, through the woods. And it just gives me strength to know that I don't have to depend on myself being the most important thing here. That there's a whole lot else happening in life. They've been feeding me with all that energy, all that life, and all that kind of, if you will, gospel of living. It's the gospel of life that they're giving me. And so I... What I kind of do with my life is sing songs for the birds. That's, you know, it's not just for, it is for the people in the room, but it's kind of for life itself. It's a great title.
1: Absolutely. Well, with one of your musical projects yeah. that you're a part of, we did a previous interview. We did, with yeah. The Floating Collective. Mick and Aaron. You got this, what's that? With Mick and Aaron. That's yeah. right, that's right. You got this. this new track that's out. Mm-hmm. Everybody can check it out. Spotify, Apple podcast or Apple music, all that quiet life. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what got that song started?
3: Yeah. Yeah. That, that one was really, I, Mick and Aaron uh, are dear friends and musical compatriots. And they recently moved out back out to Los Angeles together from Nashville, where um, we were all kind of, you know, within three, four miles from each other. So Mm -hmm. it was a really great um, situation, when the worst of the pandemic was happening, we were all kind of together and could run over to each other's houses when there wasn't much going on in the world. And and we started writing songs, and that's how that project got off the ground. Um, they decided to move, which is wonderful, and it gives me an excuse to go out to beautiful yeah. L.A. And, and get some sun. Um, but what it has done is it when we do get together now, we've got to be a, a whole lot more intentional because we know that face-to-face time is a little more limited than it right. used to be. So I went out there and we were like, the goal is let's get two to three songs done over these four days. So we sat down and we treated it kind of like a, a writing summer camp and brew a a strong pot of coffee. And they have a wonderful little studio space at their house. And we started just throwing around ideas. um, And we kind of came to this notion of, of writing about coming out of this, period of the last two years, being at home for a lot of us and and not being able to go to concerts. I mean, that was probably the main thing that hit us hard, mm. both playing concerts and then seeing some of our favorite artists as well. So we just started spitballing with that and um, ended up with this song, Quiet Life. I'm s- saying goodbye. To, and the irony is that I'm naturally kind of more inclined to enjoy the quiet life. Mm. I'm kind of an introvert when it comes down to it. But the song is a kind of about moving out of that and back into all the social wonderful mm-hmm. things about life that we need to thrive mm-hmm. and survive. And yeah, I started playing a little strummy thing it's, it's and a, it's a cool tune. Day later really? we had Quiet Life and, and Mick Udley did a fantastic job producing it and it was a lot of fun.
1: I remember when we did that interview, you said it would be so cool if we could play the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Mm-hmm. And when I listen to the Floating Collective, I think festival music. This is awesome. People yeah. going crazy.
3: Yeah, let's I, I, hope. Yeah, let's we'll hope for that, yeah. and we'll we're we're going to start touring in twenty twenty three. So oh, nice. Yeah, we, uh, yeah, we're excited for new music and new shows.
1: You know, when I listen to the the record, the duo record, there's some. Great songs that you all wrote together. Thank you. Uh, and then there's some great, great outside material from Paul Simon, from uh, James Taylor. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular song that you all bond over, mm-hmm. whether it's your own or, like I said, like a cover?
3: I think certainly the two you mentioned, uh, they're on that record. Mm-hmm for that reason yeah those are songs that have become staples of our live shows because there's something that i think we really connect on musically um and especially vocally i think Mm -hmm. that our voices we just really meld into one on on Mm -hmm. those particular songs and you know especially like with the boxer that's one that you talk about Mm -hmm. um, when introducing the song live that we've been playing together since i was pretty pretty young probably I mean, I want to say that I was probably 15 or 16, oh, and even, and me, yeah, yeah. yeah, as a kid, I mean, you know, home. living at home, you know, playing that song, and he'd come in and take the high part. So that that's a song that's been in our blood for a long time, and just, you know,
2: I'm a huge Simon and Garfunkel fan, so I grew up listening yeah. to album. Well, Well, and, and I was alive when that album came out, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and so it's kind of spanning the musical generations as well, um, just how those Simon and Garfunkel records changed our life just incredible music um and then getting to play with paul simon too at the big apple from the big easy up in new york Mm. but uh, yeah for sure on that uh, on the um the boxer brendan and i feel when we play it too this into the night song that we Mm. kind of we wrote together with roger guth there's always brendan sings a verse and there's there's a kind of a cool familial play with it it's um it's a love song definitely but the way Brendan sings it and everything brought a lot to that song. It's so simple. It's so short. And, uh, that's one of the ones I feel really proud of that just stands alone as a song that I think we really bond over. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's neat. I think sometimes it's the bloodline harmony that keeps us, keeps us tight. You know, um, no matter what shape our voices are in, there's going to be a certain familial blonde, a uh, bond there that, uh, uh, that, that keeps it shining, you know, It's uh, it's been really neat. And, you know, the James, I don't know if we talked about this last time, but the James cut on there, the uh, line, was just a knockout. Out. I mean, what a song, first of all. You can almost yeah. belch out that song. It'll, it'll <laughs> still be a wonderful experience. But we, it's so interesting because we tried to make it great. And every time we tried to make it greater, it felt stiffer. Hmm. And so we finally said, let's move the mics upstairs to our living room. And play it like we play it in the living room. Mm-hmm. And a jet came by and made this engine noise, and you could hear the leaves rustling and dogs walking around. Yeah, that was done. No, no
3: headphones. We just set up no them. headphones in the yeah. room
2: and did kind of an old style
3: recording. There's, it's not perfect yeah. by any means, but yeah. there's. It, we ultimately came to the conclusion that that was the only way to really make that yeah. song yeah. feel like, authentic forget. to us. Yeah, the way we because we normally unplug. At the end of our uh, uh, night, you know, if, granted that the room is small enough to yeah. where you can still project to the to the folks there. We'll yeah. probably do that tonight. Yeah. But that's one of the songs that we normally play completely unplugged and acoustic. So we went back to that spirit and yeah. happy with how it turned mm-hmm. out. Great. You did James Taylor proud, I think. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's that's, that's a high bar.
1: Well, one of the, the co-writers on this record, I just did a, a filmed interview with Scott Kirby. Mm-hmm. While we were doing the interview... I was I was listening to him talk, and I thought, sincerely, this is one of the most interesting people I've encountered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yes. uh, I'm not sure if he, uh, I don't know how you would feel about that, but it, you guys perform as Mayor Kirby Mayor sometimes. Yeah. A, tri- a trio. Yeah. Could you all say a word about this singer, songwriter, guitarist? Well, I'll, real quickly,
2: very, very... Easy, even with all some of the frustrations of being on the road, because road life is not—it's it, not always the glory that it's made up to be. But Scott is a dear, dear friend. He has—he is has a good heart. Without before he ever became a great songwriter and guitar player, singer Scott is a dear friend, and he has been there for me left and right. He got me my first Loudon acoustic guitar. He introduced me to other musicians. He is such a fraternal. He's a great networker and a fraternal guy, and that's not something that came real naturally to me. I tended to be a little normal for whatever reason, maybe the shy end of things. or. But I thank Scott for that. He he has brought so much life and, uh, you know, carousing, too, like especially in the early years. We had so much fun on the road because he's a wild man so at times. <laughs> and he lives that life of adventure from Hemingway to... Um, you know, to to the writer's life, to Hunter Thompson, you know, to Jimmy Buffett. You know, he's influenced by all of that. And James Taylor, of course, with Scott. But I, I thank Scott for that. What about Yeah, you, he,
3: Scott's such, he's one of one, and he's a real throwback. You know, he's one of those guys that a lot of people who work your standard issue nine-to-fives would look at his life and say, man, I wish I <laughs> had the cojones to, to, to live the life that yeah. he's led. You know, Scott... He's changed careers a few times and decided to become a singer-songwriter. And it's all based, everything he's done, he's done well because he's a great communicator. And yeah, he, do, he does it so effortlessly, whether it's through his songs or um, his onstage banter yeah. or just having a drink with him after a show. He's a great communicator. Yeah, he and he's interesting. That he's got so many great stories because he puts himself in situations where he's going to be around interesting people. And yeah. you know, living life to the fullest. I mean, the guy's... Yeah, he gravitates toward toward that. Moving to France yeah. for a couple months yeah.
2: later this year. And he's just... From being a cop in his early days. <laughs> to, yeah, he's just an interesting uh, guy. Assistant Secretary of State. <laughs> <laughs> and then moved down to Key West. and Owned mm-hmm. a uh, bar. Yeah. Old, <laughs>
1: yep. Yeah, pretty amazing. I have this bracelet on. This was uh, something that Jeff Plate gave me. Mm. He made these... It says, support... Independent music. Yeah. And I think Little Flock as a label is really, it's it's something else. And I'm just hoping you all can talk for a moment about the importance of independent artists and independent record labels. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. would you talk about how you started that? Well, I... I for years after being dropped by Warner Brothers, you know, the group PM, I was in with Roger Guth, another amazing artist, Jim Mayer, another amazing artist, bass player. But we made the attempt to ourselves get signed again. And this time it was as Peter Mayer um, with Green Eyed Radio. And I remember incidents where I flew up to New York and played for Eric Cressman, who was signing for GRP and um, different labels trying to get signed again and find, you know, that kept... Falling down, Paul. And, and finally, we were like, what can we do? Internet came along, computers came along, and it started giving us more autonomy. And we thought, let's just start our own co-op labor. You bring in your music, we'll put it out there. As long as we feel like it falls under our, our tent of quality, uh, people of community, let's put it out there. You know, So we've just accepted people under that and I think it's so countercultural. Even in this day, when everyone's releasing their own album or publishing their own book, um, I really am proud of that countercultural. Not everything has to be owned by um, big pharma or by you know what I mean. Like there has to be those independent voices that speak truth to power um, or truth to party. Either way, there have to be those independent voices that live live that truth. Um,
3: yeah, and what's cool about it is that it's. It's a label in the sense that it it distributes music, and you know, back when we primarily made CDs, actually, yeah. you know, hired companies to make the CDs for all the different artists. But it's really more of a cooperative. You know, it's it's really a, a collective of different artists who we're all friends with. You know, <laughs> you wouldn't just have yeah. some random artists join it these are all people who we've been associated with and believe in yeah and I um, want to say
2: it would not have happened without Terry Letterer um, an amazing friend and really good at what she does um, with Mike Davis mm -hmm. also who has lent more man hours to to us to work us in and out of jams than I can count um, CJ Sutherland John Mm -hmm. Spindler Beth estes all those people were involved in working in this little roughshod cooperative to say let's let's keep putting the music out there yeah and the the independent
3: thing is like you were saying it's it's really important especially now because um we we need each other you know it it can be a very daunting landscape for musicians right now because there's so much noise and it's a double-sided coin with the internet because on one hand It is possible for us to do this completely on our own and to anyone can put out music. Anyone can record it in their home and put it on and (laughs) sell it legitimately or stream it legitimately. But it's also really, there's so much noise and it can be really hard to cut through and find an audience for what you do. So there's strength in numbers when you can get like-minded artists together who are not beholden to any greater machinery, who's got an agenda, you know, or where there's, yeah. extra financial incentive to push a certain artist when you're just kind of be like, Hey, we're all in this together. We're just trying to make the best art we can yeah. and get it to the people who want
2: to hear what we do. It's, it's a good place to start. One, one of my favorite poets, um uh, you know, and then of course it, he's, his name is Casey, but I'm going to think of it and I'll let you know, <laughs> but he, his favorite, my favorite quote of his is he was asked, how do you, produce so much? How do you keep writing incredible poetry? And he goes, oh, that's easy. I just lower my standards. (laughs) And so (laughs) he said, I I can't figure out when other people stopped writing poems. Like, when did that happen? He said, this is just what I do. And he said that the whole art is in editing and in going back and continue to ask yourself the important questions. And I kind of feel like with that kind of attitude, we get to be better musicians to keep asking the good questions. um, Know that this is just what we do. You know, we, we have shitty nights, just like anybody else. We have great nights. And, um, we only hope. So, uh,
1: anyway. I was talking downstairs with uh, your manager, John Spindler, uh, another Missourian. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about Pat Metheny. Oh,
3: yeah.
1: And I have this very vivid memory. I was listening to Radio Deville years and years ago. And he... Uh, Steve Huntington, the great Steve Huntington, he played a Peter Mayer track. Mm. And then he followed that with Last Train Home. <laughs> and he said, and I was like, this is this is so Ooh. cool. And first of all, you, you have to give all the respect in the world to a guy like Steve Huntington. And he said, can you hear the elements mm. of Pat Metheny in that mm. Peter Mayer song? And so, you know, you both mm-hmm. have expressed your... Uh, passion and love for jazz can you all speak about the importance of jazz music um, yeah
3: well y- you've got a whole lot more to say about it but um through you I grew up around it I mean Pat was held up as the highest possible standard for oh, musicians Richard, you know yeah the ECM sure, artist sure. and um and you know I'll, I'll be honest when I was a little kid uh, I'm not going to pretend that I loved all the jazz he would play because of it could be obtuse. Let's, let's be honest. It's sometimes it's, it's like getting into certain more adventurous cuisine. Sometimes you have to develop a palette mm-hmm. for stuff that challenges you like that. But as I grew older and kept listening, it just the worlds within that genre. Um, and I'm, I'm the biggest advocate of rock and roll music and pop music and Americana, whatever. I believe there's great depth in, in that music as well. And that's what I do. But jazz has a specific language that it's hard for other genres to match. Um, like classical as well, but even beyond classical, jazz just has, it feels like, infinite well, depth improv- to it. Well,
2: improvisation.
3: We, yeah. yeah. And what I love about Pat specifically is that he takes that language, but melds, uh, you know, I've read interviews with him where he talks about how big an influence the Beatles were. Mm on him and his music, and he takes that complicated structure and then uh, weaves in these beautiful melodies that feel like they could be in a, a
2: classic American song about pop tune, you know? And cinematic, too. Cinematic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. by the way, William Stafford is that poet. Aha! Uh-huh. just incredible, um, really a heavy influence. Yeah, Pat, I mean, what can I say? Brendan said it best already, and I'll just add, sonically, Pat took the language of improvisation And the moodiness of some of the cinematic music and bonded it together and Last Train Home and and, Mm -hmm. um, uh, just incredible music over the years and did it so well. It was so daunting, in fact, that um, it was kind of scary because when I played, I I found myself starting to sound like him, Mm -hmm. Now that I can be him. And so I went through a a period where I stopped listening to him because I realized I've really got to just find what I do. But that's the blessing of age, as, as much as we kind of play it down these days. Oh, I'm getting old, you know. I'm not young anymore. But is that you start taking on and letting things go? Like, thank God, there's a Pat, and I don't have to be Pat. You know, I can listen to Pat and learn from all he's taught me. Um, but then I can I can hear some of those. Gosh, I mean, you can hear harmonies that Pat used in our music. That just yeah. that's just where we came from. The other thing is is that that I'll say is that jazz. Was always kind of a bohemian language. It was a language from the from the slave workers in the fields. These were this was call and response, and so it's always been countercultural. And then grown up into uh, the Miles Davis and the John Coltranes and and black music. And of course, it's black and white and all colors. But always encourage you to go deeper and deeper with the language, and um, it, that really. Studying jazz really made me dive into the guitar and learn the instrument. And I'm so thankful for that. Taking the jazz courses at Webster University when I went there, really. Steve Schenkel was my teacher, and Duke and other people that that led me on to say, "Man, keep digging. Come on, you can. You know, l- learn this language and learn how to get around your instrument." And that was a far cry from learning a pentatonic lick as a 12 year old and saying, "I'm done. I know how to play Oreo speedwagons. <laughs> you know, riding the storm out or whatever." Nothing wrong with that song, but um, I'm really glad that it cast me deeper into the pool. And and uh, it feels good now, being I'm 64 now, and it feels kind of good going, you know, as long as I honestly feel something coming out, it doesn't have to be the best jazz song in the world. It doesn't have to be this style or that. It just can be something honest for the world, you know. And, and uh, in part, I give thanks to Jimmy Buffett for that, because... Of uh, that great gig, learning from that great band, but also giving us the freedom to do what we want without having every night be the, the risk of our lives because we have to, you know what I mean? It, it has kind of provided a bed, a solid bed to, to
1: ride on So, I think you, you're you bringing up a kind of an interesting point there. I spoke with Mac McAnally about this and I spoke with Eric Darkin about this. Something that I've noticed When Jimmy Buffett goes back and sings one of these, you know, old, old classic songs like Stars Fell on Alabama, a jazz standard from the 40s, you know, uh, Pat Matheny told me, he said, Stardust, it's an indestructible song. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, He can nail those really old songs yeah. I think, could you all see, if you could use your imagination, could you imagine him doing a vocal jazz album? Of course. Yeah. Man, I have, for years, I remember
2: sitting in a bar in Chicago going, man, if Jimmy does a jazz album, I want to write a few of the arrangements because his voice mm. is fantastic for that. He has a really great baritones, crossing over to tenor sometimes <laughs> voice that, um, no denigration to his live persona and voice, but that is so special when it's just kept to, to a simple song instead of yelling to the crowd. You know what I mean? Yeah,
3: yeah.
2: When he yeah. sings songs. I and think, he, and he does it on some of his records oh, too, yeah. where you'll every yeah. once in a while he'll throw in a ballad where he really. Pace in the cage. Yeah, I mean, probably, you know, some of the real you know, gentle approach. I think I think it's a shoe in. I would be really I would bet on it, and I'd be very surprised if Jim doesn't do an, uh, an album of that. And what I'm hoping, excuse me. What I'm hoping is that we can, you know, like for a bossa nova, a, Stru, a Gilberto, some of those songs. Yeah. Write something sure, for Jimmy yeah. that would right. just be amazing. You even do kind of a calypso jazz.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's
3: so many options right. for him.
1: Beyond the sea. Yeah, there's so, so much. much. Yeah. 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 Well, you guys, uh, you Peter specifically, you were mentioning this record that's going to be out, and you're going to be at this festival, the Meeting of the Minds, mm-hmm. right. Key West has started emerging more and more. I hear all different types of people I interview, they start talking about Key West is becoming this live music place. Mm-hmm. Have you all found that it is a unique place to perform? Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah. I've, I've been uh, I've been down there once already this year doing a week of shows at the, yeah. the Great and Tuna Saloon.
2: Uh, yeah. And, and then we're going back in a couple months. Yeah, we are. To a meeting of the minds, yeah. and we'll be there for Christmas as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's right, John. Um, right, it is. <laughs> yeah, okay, wants to
3: get canceled. It's amazing how many
2: Nashville, um, Key West
3: ties there are at this point. Yeah. It does feel yeah. like there is this direct pipeline directly yeah. from Nashville to Key West. Um, so you yeah. have a lot of Nashville artists who who live in what's considered to be Music City USA, right? In some ways, the ca- the music capital of All the right. country we being like, I want to get out of here and go to Key yeah, West right. because it, it's so much fun, you know, and it and it feels like such a nurturing place, yeah. especially if you want to branch out. I mean, there is a, a big country music presence down in Key West, but you can do a whole lot more beyond
2: that. You can. Route. And a couple people have to be mentioned. Um, first of all, Ramshead Organization has really right. set up. Mm-hmm. Very good quality venues that have d- been done very professionally, which means to musicians, Oh my gosh, I go into a club and I know there's going to be great sound. Mm, yeah. I know I'll be received. I know tickets will be done right. Mm-hmm. And Charlie Bauer yes. has to be mentioned. Right. I mean, just all he's done for the songwriters, you know, songwriters fest yeah. and for being an advocate for musicians. Paul, I can't tell you the amount of times that he has been over backwards to get us the pay or to boost the pay, even to make things work one way or another when he knew we were we were really being pressed, you know. Uh, so thank you, Charlie. And 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 then all the people who spend their money coming down there to carouse and enjoy the Key West. You
3: know, way. and just to expand on that real quick, I think digging into the heart of what makes a place like Kiwa special in terms of live music and why people are so enchanted by the notion of going down there to to see music. It is somewhat similar to, to the appeal of Nashville, I think where people feel the history. Mm. Um, Cause let's be honest, you could have a great room in, in Des Moines and no offense to Des Moines, but you could have great music anywhere. And it technically would sound the same, but so much of the live music experiences about feeling history and what has come before you and feeling like, I know um, so-and-so favorite artists played at this place. 40, 50 years ago. Oh, I know Ernest Hemingway was yeah. down the street creating great art. And you feel those spirits, yeah. you you know, whether or not, no matter what you want to call it, if you're a religious person or not, you feel presence around you. Well, on the parchment
2: um, of the oceans, yeah, right? Things I think coming for. It's just like the stories that have been rolling mm-hmm. in. That's, that's what we tried to capture with La Casa Kaioway. So it's kind of a sing-songy melody maybe, but it talks about that magic. Yeah. Uh, That you feel. And even in the roughest times, Brendan, I mean, when we moved down there for a little while and Brendan was 18 months old, I have to admit, it was one of the most fraught periods of my life. Like, where do we go from here? We lost our record deal. Mm. I don't know about Key West. It's like, you know, half the people that moved down there got divorced after three years. And I know it sounds like I'm dissing it, but (laughs) it tends to open up your life to all kinds of possibilities. And not everyone can handle that real, real Mm -hmm. easily. But certainly an island of magic and history, as you said, mm-hmm. beauty, um, you know, and shoot that old ocean and sun that keep revisiting, you know, every day. So,
1: Well, it's it's great that you all not only have this bond as father and son, but also as musical collaborators and performers. I can't wait to see this show tonight. I always, I always like to give my guests the last word, no matter what. So, anything before we part?
3: Um, I don't know. I, I just think it feels really good. What I'll say is that, we, like you were saying, we haven't really played all summer long. It's been yeah. a good five months, uh, yeah. which is the longest we've gone without doing anything as a duo since we started this probably 10 years ago when I just got out of college. <laughs> so, it feels really good. And the, the time away... Uh, distance truly does make the heart grow fonder. Even though we've seen each other, we haven't gotten to make music together in yeah. some time and makes you appreciate uh, every single night that we get it to do really this. It really
2: does. This has been super special. And what I've been kind of living with the last couple of weeks um, from things I've read or whatever, just because it, it, when you want to be perfect every night, you just live a life of constant failure. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you have to start accepting that there's more than that. It's not... So my motto has been receive, relax, and release. Receive it as it comes. Relax. Mm -hmm. What's the best you can give? And really let it go. It's going to be gone. Just enjoy it for what it is now. So for all of you out there, be kind, receive, relax, and release. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for doing this. And for all you do to expose... You know, the deep, dark secrets of musicians and stuff as (laughs) well. It's wonderful. And to keep the conversation going. My pleasure. Okay.
0: Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to com. That's ThePaulLeslie.com. click on support the show and thanks to everyone who contributes performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primorano the entertainer written by Scott Joplin end credit theme music is courtesy of John Primorano the traditional song Corina Corina your announcer is Dan Gold hey that's me The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.